Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 10, Part 1, Episode 28. Podcast 170 is entitled, The House of Holiness. In last week's episode, the Red Cross Knight barely escaped despair. If Una had not interfered and shamed the Red Cross Knight for listening to the oily arguments of despair, he would have taken his own life. That ended Canto 9. This is the beginning of Canto 10. Una takes the Red Cross Knight to the House of Holiness to purge him of his sins. Remember that the evil witch, Duessa, took the Red Cross Knight to the House of Pride, which would have destroyed him, had the dwarf not discovered that the dungeons of the House of Pride were filled with the corpses of the dead who had been murdered in the House of Pride. The Red Cross Knight and the dwarf flee the House of Pride only to be followed by Duessa, who then seduces the knight and then throws him in the dungeon in the castle of Orgoglio the Giant, where he was imprisoned for three months before being rescued by Prince Arthur. In the following stanza, Spencer summarizes Canto 10. Canto 10. Her faithful knight, fair Una, brings to House of Holiness, where he is taught repentance and the way to heavenly bliss. Canto 10, where the Red Cross Knight is taken to the House of Holiness, is absolutely beautiful, and it is at the heart of the story of the Red Cross Knight. Una, who represents truth, takes the Red Cross Knight, who represents holiness, to the house of holiness, to purge him of his sins. In his youth, he was deceived by Duessa, who led him off the straight and narrow path to the house of pride. In stanza one, Spencer raises a key question. It is this. Can any person who puts his trust in the arm of flesh withstand the temptations of Satan? The answer is no. They will eventually yield to temptation, as happened to the Red Cross Knight. All good comes from God, and only through the grace of Christ can we withstand the wiles of the devil. What man is he that boasts of fleshy might and vain assurance of mortality, which also soon, as it doth come to fight against spiritual foes, yields by and by, or from the field most cowardly doth fly? Ne let the man ascribe it to his skill that through grace hath gained victory. If any strength we have, it is too ill. But all the good is God's, both power and eke will. Una recognized how weak and feeble her knight had become. He had become emaciated from prolonged imprisonment and was unfit to fight the dragon. That is why she brought him to the house of holiness. But that which lately happened, Una saw that this her knight was feeble and too faint and all his sinews wokes and weak and raw through long imprisonment and heart constraint, 
which he endured in his late restraint, that yet he was unfit for bloody fight. Therefore to cherish him with diet's daint she cast to bring him, where he cheered might, till he recovered had his late decayed plight. The house of holiness was not very far away. It was renowned throughout the world for the sacred word of God and for the inhabitants who led a pure and unspotted life. It was governed by wisdom through a wise but white-haired matron who joyed only in helping wretched souls and helpless poor. She had infinite energy and never rested. She spent all of her time doing godly deeds. There was an ancient house not far away renowned throughout the world for sacred lore and pure unspotted life. So well, they say, it governed was, and guided evermore through wisdom of a matron grave and hoar, whose only joy was to relieve the needs of wretched souls and help the helpless poor. All night she spent in bidding of her beds and all the day in doing good and godly deeds. The name of the matron of the House of Holiness was Dame Celia, Heavenly Mother or Heavenly Lady, because everyone thought she came from heaven. She had three daughters, whose names were Fidelia, Speranza, and Charissa, meaning faith, hope, and charity. The greatest daughter was Charissa, bringing to mind Paul's words, And now bideth faith, hope, and charity these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Dame Colia men did her call, as thought from heaven to come, or thither to arise. The mother of three daughters well upbrought in goodly throughs and godly exercise. The eldest two most sober, chaste, and wise, Fidelia and Speranza virgins were, though spoused, yet wanting wedlock solemnized. But fair Charissa to a lovely fair was linked, and by him had many pledges dear. They found the house under tight security. But when they knocked, the porter immediately let them in. The porter's name was Humility. He was very old, his eyes cast down, his gait slow. Aided by a cane, he walked with feeble steps. He showed the visitors the straight and narrow way to the house of holiness. Arrived there, the door they find fast locked, for it was warily watched night and day, for fear of many foes. But when they knocked, the porter opened unto them straightway. He was an aged sire, all hoary gray, with looks full lowly cast and gait full slow, want on a staff his feeble steps to stay, height, humilita. They pass in stooping low, for straight and narrow was the way which he did show. They entered into a spacious court where they met Zeal, who met them with great courtesy. As with all others in the house of holiness, zeal is a virtue. Synonyms are eagerness, fervor, enthusiasm, alacrity, diligence, devotedness, heartiness, passion, intensity, earnestness, warmth, spirit, readiness, promptness, industry, vigilance, and vivacity. Zeal gladly guided them to the great hall. Each goodly thing is hardest to begin, but entered in a spacious court they see, both plain and pleasant to be walked in, where them does meet a Franklin fair and free, 
and entertains with comely courteous glee. His name was zeal, that him right well became, for in his speeches and behaviors he did labor lively to express the same, and gladly did them guide, till to the hall they came. In the great hall they were met by a gentle squire who was very courteous. He was dressed very modestly. He saw only the good in people. He puts on no frills or fancy show, but is simple and true and sincere. There fairly them received a gentle squire of mild demeanor and rare courtesy, right clearly clad in comely, sad attire. In word and deed that showed great modesty, he knew his goods to all of each degree, height reverence. He them with speeches meet does fair entreat. No courting nicety, but simple true and eke unfeigned sweet as might become a squire so great persons to greet. The squire leads them to Dame Celia, meaning Heavenly Lady. She was busy with her prayers, but immediately rose and walked toward Una, whom she well knew to come from a heavenly race. Her heart swelled upon meeting Una. And afterwards them to his dame he leads, that aged dame, the lady of the place, who all this while was busy at her beads. Which doin', she up arose with seemly grace, and toward them full matronly did pace, where when the fairest Una she beheld, whom well she knew to spring from heavenly race, her heart with joy unwanted inly swelled, as feeling wondrous comfort in her weaker eld. She embraces Una, saying, O happy earth, where thy innocent feet walk. She praises Una. She recounts Una's sacred mission and praises her ceaseless service to others. She asked Una what grace has brought you to us. And her embracing said, O happy earth, whereon thy innocent feet do ever tread, most virtuous virgin born of heavenly birth, that to redeem thy woeful parents' head from tyrant's rage and ever-dying dread, hath wandered through the world now long a day. Yet cease not thy weary souls to lead. What grace hast thee now hither brought this way, or do in thy feeble feet unweeting hither stray? It should be noted that those praises of Dame Celia to Una were new to the Red Cross Knight. Una, because of modesty, never boasted about herself. The Red Cross Knight had abandoned Una and chased after the wicked Duessa, not realizing Una's nobility and Duessa's duplicity. Remember, the Red Cross Knight had been deceived by the magician Archimago, who conjured up false dreams of Una's infidelity, causing the Red Cross Knight and the dwarf to flee her presence, only to be led to the House of Pride. Una is at home in the House of Holiness. The Red Cross Knight is not. He is a stranger, and Celia doesn't know him. Strange thing it is, an errant knight to see here in this place, or any other white that hither turns his step. So few there be that chose the narrow path, or seek the right. All keep the broad highway, and take delight with many rather for to go astray, and be partakers of their evil plight, than with a few to walk the rightest way. O foolish man, why haste ye to your own decay? Una honors Dame Celia. She explains her purpose in coming to the House of Holiness. 
One, it was to see the heavenly lady. Another, it was to rest. And still another, it was to bring the Red Cross Knight to be led by the prayers of Dame Celia. In other words, the Red Cross Knight needed to be schooled in the House of Holiness before he could continue his quest to fight the dragon. Thyself to see and tired limbs to rest, O matron sage, quoth she, I hither came. And this good knight, his way with me addressed, led with thy prayers and broad-blazed flame that up to heaven is blown. The ancient dame him goodly greeted in her modest guise and entertained them both as best became with all the courtesy that she could devise. Knee wanted aught to show her bounteous or wise. Two virgins came linked arm in arm, their countenance demure, their demeanor modest. They walked in step with each other. The oldest was Fidelia, or faithfulness. She, of course, is the opposite of Duessa, which means duplicitous, or unfaithful. Beams of light seemed to radiate from Fidelia's face, and about her head did shine like heaven's light. Thus as they gan of sundry things devised, lo, two most goodly virgins came in place, e linked arm in arm in lovely wise, with countenance demure and modest grace, they numbered even steps and equal pace. Of which the eldest that Fidelia height like sunny beams threw from her crystal face, that could have dazed the rash beholder's sight, and round about her head did shine like heaven's light. Fidelia was dressed in exquisite white garments, as described in Revelations. Quote, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. In her right hand she held a gold cup, symbolizing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The gold cup was enfolded with a serpent, suggesting healing, as described in Numbers. The children of Israel were being bitten by fiery flying serpents. Many died. When they repented, Moses was commanded by the Lord. Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass, that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. The serpent symbolizes the healing power of Christ, who was lifted up upon the cross. She was arrayed all in lily white, and in her right hand bore a cup of gold, with wine and water filled up to the height, in which a serpent did himself enfold, that whore made to all that did behold. But she no whit did change her constant mood, and in her other hand she fast did hold a book that was signed and sealed with blood, wherein dark things were writ hard to be understood. As we saw in her other hand, Fidelia held up a book signed and sealed with blood. It refers to the book spoken of also by John in Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, 
Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth for ever and ever. Fidelia's younger sister was named Speranza, meaning hope. She was dressed in blue. There was a sadness about her, or anguish of heart. She held a silver anchor on her arm, which she leaned over and always looked up to heaven as she prayed, her eyes steadfast and unswerving. Her younger sister, that Speranza height, was clad in blue, that her beseemed well. Not all so cheerful seemed she of sight as was her sister. Whether dread did dwell or anguish in her heart is hard to tell. Upon her arm a silver anchor lay, whereon she leaned ever as befell. And ever up to heaven as she did pray, her steadfast eyes were bent, knee swerved other way. Remember, the two sisters, Fidelia and Speranza, were in lockstep, suggesting that they always traveled together. Without faith, there is no hope. Faith is a step in the dark. Faith operates only in uncertainty. But because of faith, one may hope for eternal life. That is what the silver anchor stands for. Speranza, or hope, is anchored to faith in a peculiar way. Paul said, Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is a belief in God. Hope is a realization of being able to live with God. Without faith, one cannot have hope. But without hope, one cannot have salvation. That, I think, is the symbol of the silver anchor. Speranza's eyes are steadfast toward heaven and never veers away because she has hope of salvation, which is closer to knowledge than faith. For it is an anchor to hold to, which means the gospel of Christ. Please join us next week as the Red Cross Knight painfully goes through the process of repentance and healing.
It is insightful to see how Spencer analyzes the process of repentance in the house of holiness. It is ironic, but the Red Cross Knight suffers more in the house of holiness than he did both in the house of pride and in the dungeon of Orgoglio. Spencer's objective is to show that it is far better to suffer repentance for our sins on earth than to face the law of justice unrepented after this life. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.